Mark Taylor's a drug dealer. There's no doubt about that. Nor do we try to hide that Mark did some really stupid things after this happened. He did it. He planned for it, and he did it. And he covered it up, lied about it, ran from it. And then we get another break. Mark had contacted a friend in Florida and asked if his father still lived in Mexico. Plan on going to Mexico? Just thinking about it. Let me be clear about one thing. Lexington police detectives were not waiting on Timothy Ballard or Mark Taylor to just drop pieces of this puzzle into their lap. They had been digging and turning over every stone in this investigation since Christmas, when Alex was officially a missing person. They had already caught Ballard in a lie. They had the video from Trust Lounge, the 911 calls, and help from Lisa about that last phone call December 20th. They were just missing one piece, Alex but detectives still took everything they had uncovered to Commonwealth's attorney, Ray Larson. The problem with this one was we didn't have a body. And typically, you can't try a murder case without a body. You have to prove death. Then you have to worry about proving who killed him. So um, we did the presentation with the Commonwealth attorney, who at that point was Ray Larson, and his whole office um, ran through everything and Mr. Larson said, no, I think we're good. Just because it's rarely, rarely done doesn't mean that a killer gets to get away with it because they got rid of the body. It was after that meeting, with prosecutors blessing to file charges on Taylor and Ballard, that detectives paid a visit to Tiny's house. I explained in the last episode that's when he fessed up to what went down that Friday night and also led police to Alex's body in the Kentucky River. I know that you're still waiting to hear exactly what happened in the hours between 8 p.m. and midnight December 20th. And believe me, that is an entire episode in itself, and it's up next. For his part, Timothy Ballard was charged with kidnapping Alex and getting rid of his body in the river, a charge called tampering with physical evidence. Police and prosecutors put Alex's death squarely on Mark Taylor. And at the time in Kentucky, a murder and kidnapping charge meant the death penalty was on the table. We went ahead and obtained murder warrants for Mr. Taylor. And from there, the the chase was on. Yep, Mark Taylor, just like he did at the beginning of all of this, when police just wanted to ask him what he knew about his best friend's disappearance, was MIA. That's why he needed Timothy Ballard, because he's a coward. And he couldn't have done it one-on-one. They put out a, a, a warrant for him, and he fled. And, you know, then that the chase ensued, finding where he was. Because as soon as the police got involved... Mark got a lawyer, and he disappeared. They asked me where Mr. Taylor was, and I said I didn't know. How long had it been since you had seen him? It was, it was a good piece of time. It was a couple weeks. Were you with him on New Year's Eve? Yes, I was. Where were you all on New Year's Eve? I don't really know the name of the bar. It's another bar. It's Caddy Corner across the street from uh, Trust. Uh, uh, Hugo's. Okay. What was going on there? Uh, New Year's Eve party. Okay. What kind of party? Uh, just a bunch of people inside the club having a New Year's, just waiting for New Year's. Okay. Who who was paying that night? Mr. Taylor. So what kind of party was he paying for? He had all of his friends there. How many people? Uh, maybe 10. Okay. Was there drinking? Yes. Drinking what? Uh, their favorite drink was big bottles of Grey Goose. Grey Goose vodka? Yes. And who was paying for all that? Mr. Taylor. 
So where else had Mark Taylor been that month? Investigators found he'd made trips to at least four states, partied, visited friends and family. Perhaps it was Taylor's farewell tour, they suggested, before he too disappeared. I was instructed by my attorney to avoid any contact with police uh, or anybody regarding this case and to make myself unavailable for any questions, uh, specifically to not be in town. What did you do for the next several days? Where were you? Uh, I was here in town. Um, the Friday night party turned into a Saturday all-day event. With, what does that mean? That means that I brought around me as many friends and people as I could. Uh, I went to Florida, stayed for two days, um, and came right back. I accepted uh, an open invitation by my uncle Judd in Washington. Um, he had just purchased a business. We spent three days in the, the D.C. area, two days in the D.C. area, and he had to go fix something in Virginia Beach. And so we went to Virginia Beach for an evening, um, and the next evening when we returned back to uh, Washington, D.C., I left for Florida. And I just needed to be out of Lexington. Not unavailable because, I, I mean, I was around my family. I was around my family and friends. I wasn't running. I wasn't... I just needed to be away from Lexington. Did you, in fact, make a stop between Virginia and Florida? Yes. What was that stop for? Uh... That stop was to touch base with uh, my, my little cousin, Mia. Um, she was going to school in Tampa. Uh, she was out with her roommate at the time. Uh, I met her at a bar, a local bar on campus. Um, we had drinks and dinner. I paid for it. Um, I had a glass piece or two with me, and it was something that I wanted her to have. And so I left a piece of glass with her. Mark Taylor's phone also revealed some unsettling information during that time between Alex's disappearance on December 20th and when his body was found 31 days later. You also text a guy named Steve N. in your phone. Yes. On December 27th. Who is Steve N.? Steve Newell is uh, the head of the ABC for the Kentucky State Police. So is he law enforcement? Yes. And what did you text him on December 27th? I believe we were discussing um, Alex and his disappearance. What did you ask him? Could you refresh my memory? Yes. On the 27th of December, you sent a text message to someone you identified as Steve. And how can I give you an anonymous tip? There you go. What was the anonymous tip going to be about? About what happened to Alex. About what happened to Alex or just about Alex? About what happened to Alex. So what is this a law enforcement person that you do trust? The best I can, yes. So what was the purpose of giving an anonymous tip? Um, at that point, the family was grieving. Uh, I, I'm extremely sorry about what happened to the man. I, he was my best friend. He was somebody who we made thousands and thousands of dollars together. And... It was the best way I could think of to give the police a trail. 
something to go on. Okay. You text Steven and you say, how can I give you an Anon tip? And his response is, just tell me. And then you text him and say, answer. And then you text him and say, that missing guy Johnson is a huge pot dealer. 30,000K plus dude dealing from Nashville, Louisville, Knoxville. He, he's who I get mine from. Just tell me how that helps the grieving family find their son. Is there more? No, there's not. There's no, there's no more. Oh, there's more text, but I'm asking you, how does that help the grieving family find their son? Um, it was something that was unknown to the family. And so, telling the police that the dead guy sells a bunch of pot helps in some way to find him? How? I don't know. But you're telling me and this jury that you contacted law enforcement because you wanted to help in some way, to let them know what had happened. Yes. That doesn't help at all, does it? It's, it's contact with law enforcement, which is far more than anything else I had done at that point. You could just pick up the phone and call him, right? No. Give an anonymous tip that you should look at Timothy Ballard, that you should look at the videos of trust, that you should look at the videos of spare parts. They're all going to show you. Yeah. You didn't do any of that. No. In fact, you actually call the police again, or call these law enforcement guy again, to divert them away from you, right? No. Cell phone forensics experts pulled pages and pages of texts from Mark Taylor's phone, dated both before and after December 20th, and in them several chilling messages to Alex. You had Alex in your phone as uh, Alex Alejandro, is that right? Yes. Why Alejandro? Um, because we both liked uh, the Mexican culture, the Latin culture, and that was his nickname. Did you call him Alex Alejandro? Uh... In jest, his real name was not Alejandro, but I believe Alexander in Spanish is Alejandro. So on the 21st, uh, you also sent a text message to Alex Alejandro, Vominos Bro. Remember that? Yes. That was after he was dead, right? Yes. After he was at the river? I didn't know he was at the river. While you were at trust, you yeah. sent that message. You knew he was dead, right? Yeah. And then you called him. Remember that? You said you called him on his cell phone. I don't remember it now. You don't recall calling him? No. The call log shows a phone call to Alex Alejandro, December 21st. That would be in the morning after he was already dead, right? I don't know why I'd make a text message at 9 in the morning to Alex. I don't know why you'd make a phone call to a dead man. I don't think it was on purpose. And then you sent him another text message on the morning of December 21st at 5.45 a.m. Do you remember that one? No? No. Well, according to your phone records on December 21st at 5.45 a.m., you sent a text message to Alex Alejandro that said early, Monday early. Remember that? If, yes. I, if the records reflect it, then yes. So you sent the dead man a text message? Again, I don't... No, I don't, uh, I don't know. I didn't send it. I didn't remember sending it. But you knew it was dead. At that time, yes. 
And then you called him on the 22nd of December at 3.23. Remember calling him on the, on the 22nd? And you called him on the 23rd at 12.28. What would be your purpose in calling and texting a dead man? I don't, I don't know. Could it be that you were trying to cover up what you had done? Um, I think that everything was was recorded. Um, cover up? No, by no means. I can understand you saying that maybe one was a, you didn't mean to call him, but Mr. Taylor, three phone calls to the dead man? Are you sure that wasn't just to divert the police to make them think that you too were interested in finding out where Alex Johnson was? Um, if I knew that he was dead, then I knew that I was also the last person to be with him. So putting the police off on a random trail, uh, there's, there's no point in that. I'm already a suspect. What do you mean, if you knew he was dead? You knew he was dead, didn't you? Yes. You're the one that killed him, aren't you? No. Did you ever text Mr. Johnson's cell phone? Yes. When was that? Um, it was very close to the end of the year, 2013, December 30th. What was the text? Uh, I'm really sorry. I miss you. I really miss you. I'm very sorry. I'm really sorry. Maybe guilt was catching up to Mark Taylor, or maybe that was just a fleeting moment of weakness. He still never reached out to police or Alex's family. By his own admission, he just kept himself busy and surrounded by his own friends, he says, to keep his mind off of what happened December 20th. In addition to the phone that police were pulling all of the text and call data from, several attempts were made to obtain pings from other numbers they knew Mark Taylor used, but those devices weren't offering much. And then we get another break. Mark had contacted a friend in Florida that he'd known as a childhood friend and knew their family and asked if his father still lived in Mexico. He's like, yeah, he does. He's like, I'm thinking about coming down and visiting for a while. He's like, would you happen to give, have his number? And he's like, yeah, 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 I'll give, I'll give you the number. Be happy to see you. Let you stay there for as long as you like. Well, after that, he's like, that was odd. Mark called me out of the blue and wanted to go to Mexico. At that point, he started searching on the internet and found uh, that Mark was wanted as a murder suspect. Um, and that guy did the right thing, contacted, I believe, the Fayette County Sheriff's Department, who then forwarded the information to us, went straight down uh, to headquarters, uh, got a search warrant for that number. Uh, as soon as we get it, we go active, and it's on the global map. It shows you where the, the pen is, where the phone is. This was it. From the big picture until you zoomed in, it looked like Mark was already in Mexico. But I think I even, yeah, I kicked some stuff over in the office. I was, I was ticked. It's not that it's impossible to get extradition back and forth between Mexico. Uh, we've done it once or twice. It's just very difficult and lengthy. And this was, at the time, a death penalty case. Mexico will not extradite on death penalty cases. Then we were able to zoom in on the ping and it was right at the border, like I want to say half a mile in a place called Far Texas. Another break, but they knew the clock was ticking. They could only assume Mark was planning on disappearing into Mexico. Did they have minutes, hours? They needed the help of local authorities and they got it. Far police told Lexington detectives anything to help. We told them the tower that the the cell phone was hitting off of, 
they said that's just an industrial part of town but they're and you could hear somebody in the back say oh what about that no tell motel on there like oh i was like please go send a unit by and i was hearing all this live the officer's like oh i've located this uh, vehicle blah 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 and we knew that to be one of mark's cars that he was driving you know more than likely that my guy's in that hotel luis cardoza um, uh, I work, I'm a police officer for the city of Far, Far Texas. And where is Far Texas? Uh, at the end of the state, uh, close to the border. We actually have an international bridge that leads to Mexico. And so, how far is Far from Texas or from Mexico? Well, the city is actually a boundary uh, with the river, so miles, maybe a mile, a couple of hundred feet. You're we're right there next to the border. And you said you had an international bridge that crossed over into Mexico from far. Correct. If a person goes <coughs> across that bridge, would they be checked by border control on the way into Mexico? No. And had your department gotten information from the Lexington Division of Police? Yes. And what did you do in response to getting that information? Well, another officer was initially dispatched. I responded due to the severity of the case uh, to back him up. And where did you go? To a hotel. And um, how far was that hotel from the bridge to cross over into Mexico? In my opinion, I'd probably say less than two miles. And so tell me what you did when you went to the hotel. <laughs> well, we received information about a wanted subject for murder and kidnapping out of Lexington, Kentucky. We also received information that he was driving a black and color Nissan. And they provided us the license plates. I was a first officer there at that location. I patrolled through the north side parking lot and I observed the mentioned vehicle. And the license plates were also matching. The officer's transferring information. He's like, wait, the guy's coming out to the car. Uh, he's like a male white, late 20s, uh, I think scruffy beard. I was like, yeah, that's probably gonna be him. And Mark goes back in the hotel room. The officers are trying to get other detectives at the scene. And at that point, the officers start showing. It's like, he just ran out of the hotel. He, he's in the car. He's heading. He's, he's heading out of the parking lot. And they're like, we'll get, go ahead and give chase. And it's like, give the direction to travel. It's like, he's headed for the bridge, which was the border. But Mark wrecked, I think, 50 yards before the, the Mexican border. He was just going to ram on through. Uh, at that point, I ran towards my unit because I was on foot. I proceeded to enter to the entrance where he was exiting up. Other officers came behind him, activated their red and blue emergency lights and sirens, which I also did. And pretty much several officers, myself, we exited our patrol units, unholstered our weapons, and started giving barrel commands. Let me see your hands and get on the ground. And did the person in the Nissan do that? Yes. Search for the suspect wanted in the kidnapping and murder of missing Lexington man Alex Johnson nearly went international last night. Mark Taylor was found in far Texas, just a few blocks from the U.S. border with Mexico. The cat and mouse game that Mark Taylor was playing with Lexington police was over. He was handcuffed, taken away, and booked into the Hidalgo County Jail. Meanwhile, back at the scene, FAR police had received signed search warrants to go through the motel room and the black Nissan that Mark was driving. When you all started searching the hotel room and the car, what type of things that you found? Um, in the car, 
there was some marijuana in the front passenger seat. Um, in the trunk, there was some black cases, uh, pe pelican cases, what I call them. And what are pelican cases? Uh, pelican cases are they're like hard plastic um, cases that are waterproof, airtight, uh, dustproof. A lot of law enforcement agencies and military use them for, for certain things. Okay. And what other types of things were found in the hotel room? Uh, in the hotel room, there was currency, uh, large, a fairly large amount of U.S. currency, um, more marijuana, and two handguns. And were there other items in there? Uh, personal items, clothes, shoes. Um, in, in a backpack, there was some clothes, uh, cell phones that were wrapped in plastic bags, uh, cell phone batteries. Um, ammunition for the firearms. Hard, plastic, waterproof, airtight cases and plastic bags. This was important to investigators. And what separates far from Mexico? The Rio Grande River. The Rio Grande River? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Of course, police and prosecutors knew that and used it to make their point that come hell or the warm waters of the Rio Grande, Mark Taylor was headed south of the border, farther and farther away from the mess he left behind in Lexington. I went to Texas. I have a, a contact, a drug contact in far Texas in Brownsville for, for cheap drugs. Um, I had with me a couple pounds of marijuana and about $25,000 in cash. Where did you get the drugs and the money? Uh, those were all proceeds from, from working really hard. What did you do when you hit town? I have a family friend who has known me and raised me for years, uh, knows me probably better than anybody else. His name is Jose Portillo. Um, he has a father who owns property in Mexico. Uh, I made arrangements with him if need be, to rent a room from his father um, in a house that he had uh, in Mexico. You're not denying that the thought of crossing that border entered your mind, are you? No. So, what happened after you made those arrangements? Um, frankly, at any time I could have gone to Mexico. The entrance there is very simple. You take a left and they don't molest you going into Mexico. It's coming back in that they check you. They'll check your ID, they'll check your car, they'll, they'll do things like that. Um, there was a hotel. Uh, I, the man who I was supposed to meet in town, uh, he wasn't off work yet. Um, he hadn't been available yet. He would be available later that night. Uh, to buy a considerable sum of of drugs. I got a hotel room, uh, was actually planning on going to one of the strip clubs there in Far Texas, but before anything happened, I was arrested. When the search was over, Far police had seized and entered into evidence Mark's clothes, shoes, phones, extra batteries, a Florida and Kentucky driver's license, two handguns, several pounds of marijuana, $25,000 cash, and... Anyway, you went there with two books, right? Yes, ma'am. It's a book called The Smuggler's Ghost, When Marijuana Turned a Florida Teen into a Millionaire. Mm -hmm. Did you read that book? Uh, no, I had just purchased it uh, a day and a half before. Mm -hmm. Were you hoping Mira would want to return you into a millionaire? No, that's Florida's version of the Bluegrass Conspiracy. And then the other book you had was this, The Prince by Machiavelli. Yes. 
You know what the central theme of that book is, don't you? Um, statesmanship. How about the ends justify the means? Do you know that to be the central theme? No. Do you know what the, who the prince is in that book? Uh, yeah. Isn't he a person who thinks that in order to maintain his surroundings, he can do whatever of needs to be done? Even if it means taking Alex, his weed, his cash, his life. Next time on Taking Alex. People do stupid things when they're scared. And he knew the consequences. This is wholly out of character for Mark. There are two Robert Markham Taylors. There's the one that his family knows and loves. And then there's the one that we saw walking into the trust after killing his friend on December 20th of 2013.